Thank you so much, Ruth, and thank you, team. And uh, I'm just going to reiterate to emphasize that the membership class isn't just about giving you information. It is about getting to know you and getting to know one another so that we can actually feel a membership, a coming together, a moving in the same direction, and just growing our relationships and our friendships and our bonds here at Connections. So please don't, in a sense, just do it for us, the church. Do it for you, the church, you being a part of the church, the body of Christ here. Again, we're going to hit it twice in October. October, and then we're going to do a part two in November, and we hope that everybody can be a part of uh, each of those sessions. We are in week four now of our series, bringing us through Ephesians, union and unity. And we're finally hitting chapter four. How long is this going to take, George? All fall. I think I warned you about that. So uh, we're going to pick up the pace a little bit, start hitting bigger chunks because we've laid the foundation that Paul has laid for us, that he is writing to the saints. Hello, saints. We've been doing this now. Greetings. Greetings, saints, everybody. I'm getting a... Oh, Oh, but <laughs> everybody's looking at that screen now, so we have to do this. Volunteering to run lights, sound, lyrics, and hosting the live stream. And there's Chris stressing out back there. He wanted us to do that because he wants you to know he could use some help back there a few Sundays. So if you have any inclination to help save Chris from that stress, <laughs> help him and Mike out there. Um, but we are, okay, back to Ephesians. We are getting comfortable with this new identity as saints, because that is what Christ calls us because of the work he has done and is doing in our lives. We can embrace the identity as saints standing in the righteousness of Christ, which we just sang about so beautifully. Uh, that was just the perfect song to lead into this. And he's gonna be moving us then from this union that we have in Christ to the unity that we have in Jesus Christ as the body of Christ. Whenever I put my life in Christ and you put your life in Christ, we come together in Christ. That is the beauty of the church. Let me grab uh, my uh, technology here, make sure we're working, and we are going to read now Ephesians chapter 2, which is going to keep pushing us deeper into this new identity and our unity as the body of Christ. Here we go. Follow along. As for you, you who were dead in your transgressions, and sins. Ouch. We should have, uh, he should have our attention now <laughs> if we're reading the word and actually letting it sink in. In which you used to live when you followed the ways of this world and of the ruler of the kingdom of the air, the spirit who is now at work in those who are disobedient. All of us also lived among them at one time, gratifying the cravings of our flesh and following the desires, its desires and thoughts. Like the rest, we were by nature deserving of wrath. But because of his great love, say great love. How many times have we already heard that all that God is doing in us and for us and through us in Christ Jesus is out of his love. But because of his great love, Love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ. Even when we were dead in transgressions, it is by grace you have been saved. And God raised us up with Christ 
and seated us with him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus in order that in the coming ages he might show the incomparable riches of his grace. That's a great sentence there. The incomparable riches of his grace expressed in his kindness to us in Christ Jesus. And here's our words. These are words to live by. We had that series this past summer. Here are words for all of us to live by because these words are our life. For it is by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not from yourselves. It is the gift of God, not by work so that no one can boast. For we are God's handiwork created in Christ Jesus to do good works which God prepared in advance for us to do. Amen. This is the word of God. My girls went with Rob several years ago to a conference for high school girls um, down in Texas. Uh, they actually went twice. It was so good. But after they had gone the first time, uh, they, they came back and, and they were uh, a, little, a little troubled. They said, they said Dad, we, we have no testimony. I said, what are you talking about? So they went back and they, they kind of told us what happened. They said as they reflected on, on the weekend, um, by default or by design, I'm not sure which, every woman who was up on stage told this very dramatic testimony. I mean, they were living far from God. Uh, I mean, they were, and they, all the usual suspects. They were, you know, doing the drugs and, you know, living for themselves and they were stealing candy from babies and they were drowning puppies and they were probably shooting people on the street. I mean, you've heard the stories. You've heard the testimonies. I mean, if there was something awful that they could have done, they were doing it. But thanks be to God, somebody came and told them about Jesus. And they put their faith in Jesus. And they turned their life around. And they wrote a book. And they got on the speaking network. And praise be to God. But my girl said, well, Dad, we, we, have, no, we have no testimony. Um, Karis then had an epiphany. She said, wait a second, I think actually we, we could have a testimony. We're like, okay, what, what do you think is your testimony, your story of God at work in your life? And she went on to say, well, I just think about all the times that we went on family vacations. You'd make us go out into the woods and carry this backpack that weighed more than us, and we'd have to hike to the top of a mountain and sleep out in the cold. And we suffered through all of these, what I thought were wonderful family vacations. And to her and to, to Eden, this became their testimony, their struggle for the Lord, just living in our family. Well... In all seriousness now, we do believe and we have seen the evidence that Jesus makes life better. There are some people who have truly, by all standards, lived awful lives and done awful things. Absolutely, there, there are people out there that have just, they've, they've gone down the path of the world, they've gone in bad directions. They've brought harm onto others. They've brought hurt onto themselves. Praise be to God that he does change lives. He does turn people around. Praise be to God that we can receive salvation by the gift of God through faith, that we can be born again, as Jesus says. We can become as a new creation. And that is so important for somebody that has perhaps really lived a life far from God and maybe more so for those who've been hurt. We know that some people do the hurting and some people have been hurt tremendously. 
getting through this life can bring brokenness, can bring pain, can bring shame, can bring hardship, and you can have a new beginning. So praise be to God that we can be born again. A new life, a new creation can happen in all of us. But I went on to tell the girls, I said, you know, there is a, another testimony there's a testimony that sometimes we can give thanks to God, and I just want to be very clear about this. We can give thanks to God if we grew up in a household of faith. We can give thanks to God if we were taught the ways of the Lord and we were taught the scriptures. We can praise God if we walked in faith and if that faith in Christ has saved us from a lot of hardship and pain. We can praise God if we've made wise decisions according to the word of God and his spirit at work in us that has saved us from hardship and perhaps, and we hope, bring a blessing to others. That's a great story as well. Hallelujah and amen. Can I get a hallelujah on that for all of us trying to raise children in faith and have homes built on the foundation of the Lord? That can be a great story. I always just want to say that's a great story because I certainly did not try to lead my kids astray to lead them back then to faith. But then I went on to tell them, you know, there is in a certain light a very dramatic testimony that all of us can tell. All of us, and according to this passage from Ephesians, which we're going to start breaking down here in just a moment, according to this passage, all of us could actually tell a very dramatic testimony. In fact, I could tell my own story in a very dramatic way. Because the fact of my life is that whenever I was a child, I was in a life and death situation. It wasn't something I asked for. It wasn't something I was looking for. It wasn't something, uh, you know, that I would have wanted in any way. But I found myself in a life and death situation. And as circumstances uh, just dictated, it ended up that a man ended up giving his life to save mine. I was too young at the time to even fully grasp what all had transpired in my life being saved, but over the days, the weeks, the years to come, I began to learn more about the situation that I was in and about the life of this man. And I learned more and more that this man giving up his life for me was in perfect character with everything that he'd done before. He had lived an amazing life, an amazing life devoted to God and to serving others, helping those in need, serving those that were broken, lifting people up who were in the muck and the mire of life. He had done incredible, incredible works in people's lives. And so the fact that he would give his life for mine made absolute perfect sense whenever I was in a life and death situation. And over the course of time, I just didn't want to just find out more about this man. I wanted to live more and more like this man. In the course of time, I just started calling myself a disciple of his. And then came the day when I just started calling myself a Christian because I realized that it was Jesus Christ who gave his life for me. Because I was born into a life and death situation. I was born into this world and from the day we begin, we're on a trajectory that 100% has led to death. But not only that, it has led people away from the relationship with God that we were created to walk. But thanks be to God that out of his great love for us, he sent his son Jesus Christ to us to save our lives. 
to draw us back into the relationship we were made for, to put us back on the path of walking with him so that we would know life with God now and forever, that we would have salvation by his atoning death on the cross. Hallelujah and amen. All of us, according to this passage, have an extraordinarily dramatic testimony because every one of us is in a life and death situation. Is he getting it? Is it making sense? This is the drama. This is the amazing story that Paul is laying out for us. This is the gift of salvation that is being offered to us. This is the power of the gospel. This is where Paul's going. This is where Ephesians is going. And this is now where we are going. As we turn the page to chapter two of Ephesians, if we are paying attention, we should be very offended. I'm gonna just make sure I keep my scriptures in front of me. You, uh, this is like Paul literally like pointing the finger. You, you were dead in your transgression and sins. He doesn't want us to miss the drama that we have been born into. He has to say it twice, your sins, your transgressions, however you wanna phrase it. We were born into a precarious situation and we are going the wrong way. We are going towards transgression and sin and death instead of life with God. I think about, and I actually rewatched the clip from that great planes, trains, and automobiles whenever John Candy and Steve Martin are going down the highway. And I forget what happens that, that John Candy gets distracted, but something happens and he ends up on the wrong side of the highway and he is blissfully careening down the highway in the dark of night. And this other car from the other lane on the other side pulls up and they roll down the window and they start shouting, you're going the wrong way. And it's hilarious because then Steve Martin's like, how does he know where we're going? Yeah, yeah, how did he know we're going the wrong way? No, you're going the wrong way. Here's why the scene is so good and why it is so apt for this illustration. Then they start raising the stake. You're going to kill someone. What? You are going to kill someone. What are they talking about? You are going to get yourself killed. They're screaming. You're going to get yourselves killed. And then finally they look ahead. They see the, it's hilarious. Watch the clip whenever you get home today. You're going the wrong way. That is what Paul pastorally and compassion is wanting to reveal for us as offensive as it might come across. It is the compassion of the couple pulling up alongside of the highway, rolling down the window and screaming out to us, please listen, you're going the wrong way. You're gonna get yourself killed. You're gonna hurt other people. Your life is going in the wrong direction. He then teases out a little bit for us. And he actually, and we'll just be a, a pastor nerd here for just a moment, three forces that we should all consider. First, he says, you're going the wrong way just because of being born into the world, into the ways of the world. He says, you're going the wrong way because sometimes we listen to the spirit of the age or of the air. That's a way of talking about the father of lies, Satan. And sometimes we just follow the flesh and the flesh leads us away from God or in the wrong direction. And that is something for all of us to consider. That all of us, again, whether we like it or not, Paul is saying, you're just born into the lazy river of the world. Who here loves the lazy river when you go to the water parks? It's been a while since, all right, I've been a while since I've been to a water park. But you know, after all of the fun, there are times where I'm like, can we just 
sit in the lazy river and let us take it downstream. That's the way of the world, Paul is saying, says that very often in life, you're just going to be born into a stream, into a current that's going to take you away from God. Unless at some point you stop and look at the current you're in and saying, hmm, maybe I want to change direction. So sometimes we're actively going to be led astray. Sometimes we need to recognize that there is a father of lies and he's lying to us about the way we should live our lives and the direction we should go and what we should be about. So we need to be tuned into the spirit so that we can discern those lies and sometimes just call out and say, mm, no, if I listen to that, if I go in that direction, it will lead to perhaps my harm or the harm of others or just not be glorifying to God. And then he just says, and then there's just the flesh. The fact of the matter is born into a fallen world, born into a broken world, born into sin. There are times when our flesh will want to deceive us and lead us astray. Very offensive if we're paying attention. I think about the bumper sticker that I've seen a lot of, and I'm not saying this to like be um, antagonistic or to be, or to offend anybody, but it's a very interesting uh, bumper sticker. I think it says, "Don't follow me; I'm following my bliss." It, it it's actually a great warning if we just take it as a warning. Don't follow me; I'm following my bliss. If we would just follow anybody and everybody who is following their bliss, that might not always lead to a destination where we might want to end up, right? We have to go through the process of some discernment for the bliss that we follow. Uh, I just got to celebrate a birthday. I got lots of donuts. I got a cake. There was lots of treats. I just got to officiate a wedding. Uh, past two days. I mean, I had, I'm just going to be honest, like two days of bliss. But it was like two days of decadence. It was like another donut. Sure, more cake. Okay, more red meat. Sounds good to me. I mean, if I live like that forever, I mean, I, I don't think I'd make it to 50. I, I mean, honestly, like it was just, just, and and I also say that because sometimes it's fun to just follow that bliss. But we have to exercise some discernment and say, at some point, maybe you should hydrate and get a drink of water and uh, eat the broccoli <laughs> instead of the cupcake, George. If we just followed our bliss for our appetites, it could lead us to a place of self-destruction. So apply some discernment to the lazy river of life or to the things that we're being told to bring us joy and to bring us happiness, or the ways of our flesh. An, an addict, what if an addict just said, well, this is how God made me. This is how God made me. I just crave these substances. Who am I? I'm just going to follow my bliss. Sadly, we know people who have self-destructed because they were following the bliss of an addiction. We know some people from a very young age, it seems, they're, they're just given to anger. They're just given to outbursts. Like they just kind of have that, you know, that temper that's just ready to, 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 to go. What would happen if that was just left unchecked, unmoderated? If we didn't try to teach young people discernment and control and temperance, you know? Well, a lot of people, they just seem to be uh, predisposed to little white lies early on, just to make themselves look better, to cover something up. What if that just went unchecked? And you just went down that path. The point here is, again, sometimes if we just follow our bliss, if we follow the world, if we follow the lies, if we follow our flesh, sometimes that leads to destruction. Paul here 
the Bible theologically is saying, this is what sin and transgression is all about. This is what is leading you astray. This is causing you to miss the mark of God, of Jesus Christ, of living by the power of the Holy Spirit, and I don't want you to be held captive to it. So Paul lays that out for us in these first three verses. Very offensive, very accurate. I think all of us would say, if we're open to the truth of what Paul is teaching us here, And if he ended there, oh my goodness, there'd be no reason for us to gather. There'd be no reason to worship. There would be no reason to have hope at all. And yet, oh, and others have, um, you know, uh, speakers have waxed eloquently on this. Authors have written uh, prolifically on this. uh, And many have said these are the best two words in all of the uh, world and all of Scripture. But God, but God, but God, because of him. His great love for us. Oh, how many times have we already read that everything God is doing, God is doing out of his love for us. Why did he call us? Why did he choose us? Why did he predestine us? Why out of his great love? Why now are we going deeper into this work of salvation through Jesus Christ? Because of his great love. Oh, it is always because of the great love love of God. In fact, if we just read through these four verses, uh, four through seven, he, he just can't say enough of it, really. He just talks about, oh, because of this great love of God. Oh, because of his great mercy for us. Oh, because of his said, if we would go back to the ancient languages, because of his steadfast love. Oh, because of his great kindness for us. Oh, because of this amazing grace. Oh, because of the riches of his grace lavished on us. As much as he wants to tell us about the precarious, dramatic situation we are born into, oh, he wants us to understand the grace now. The grace the gift of God that is being offered to us. While we were dead in that sin and that transgression, Jesus Christ gave his life for us so that we could be saved. We could have this gift of salvation. Um, it makes me think of, I, I, I probably said this. I, I probably said this sometime when I was a teenager. My teenagers never said this to me. Maybe your teenager said it to you. It seems to be just this uh, image we have in our mind of the um, angsty teenager. And again, getting through the growing up years is hard enough on its own. Um, praise be to God if we are raised in... in, in households of faith. Um, But again, the the teenager who's sort of in that place of frustration and angst and pain because growing up is hard, cries out, I never asked to be born anyways. Anybody ever have a teen actually say that? I'm thinking I probably said that at some point in my life to my parents. And, and, and as a parent, you're left in that situation, scratching your head, probably saying, um, maybe we need to go back to basics because it doesn't really work that way. <laughs> it's not as if you actually had a vote in the matter. <laughs> it was kind of on your mom and I to make the decision on your behalf. The decision wasn't ours to be born into sin. The decision wasn't ours to be born into this situation of spiritual deadness. It just was. 
it just is. It is because we know theologically the sin of Adam. There's a, again, I will try not to go off track on this. It's just the way it is. And if we think about it this way, the only unfair, the only unjust, the only unloving, the only truly awful thing that we could ever experience in the world would be then if there was no solution to the problem into which we are born. But thanks be to God, and this is the whole point of these verses then, to tell us we were born in a sin, but God, out of his great love for us, knowing that would be the unfair thing, the unjust thing, the unrighteous thing, is to leave his children in that predicament out of his great love for us. He has lavished on us the riches, the mercy, the kindness of his grace. His grace poured out for us. His grace to save us. Oh, grace, amazing grace, my friends. Again, perfect song choice lead us into this revelation from God for us. It is his amazing grace that saves us. I love how Paul says it. Again, we've been teasing out this idea of our union with Jesus Christ. And I just love that flow that he has here. You have been raised with Christ. Christ died on the cross to pay the price for your sins, but we know and believe and hold in faith that on the third day he was raised again, and you have been raised with Christ. This is his grace to you. He says more. He says you uh, have been seated with Christ. Seated with Christ. Right now, God sees us so bound in union, united with Jesus Christ, that it is as if we are seated now with Christ in the heavenly realms. We have been made alive with Christ. We're raised with him. We're seated with him. We are alive now with Christ, with our union in Christ, with our unity as the body of Christ. We now have salvation. Now, there are some nuances to our justification, to our salvation, to grace and to faith. Uh, let me just say this. What Paul is making abundantly clear is that we are saved by grace. And when he says through faith, he isn't saying that this is now something we have to muster up on our own. This too is the gift of God. We are saved by grace and it is through our faith now that we understand this, that we embrace this and that we live into this. It is through this faith now that wells up to us because this is the testimony now of scripture and the testimony of countless uh, believers. We hear the good news and by faith, it rings true. We hear the story of Jesus Christ and by faith, we are drawn to this man. We hear the story of his death, burial and resurrection. And by faith, we believe that this is the work of God. We understand that he is raised on the third day. And by faith, we believe this to be true. We profess that he is our savior and Lord. And by faith, we believe that we are now atoned for and stand righteous in Jesus Christ. So please, please, please understand that this grace is our salvation and this grace is what builds up faith. Don't try and muster up faith on your own. Receive it as the gift and the grace of God to grow into the faith that he is offering to us. Oh, friends, there's so much that we could say, but let me drive it home now with this because we've got a big Sunday and wonderful things to celebrate uh, with a baby shower and food and festivities out there. But the question now kind of hangs on this and I'm gonna have to, I'm gonna have to come back to this uh, next week. 
we can't end this week without pointing to kind of the reason why. 8, 9, and 10, the crux of this passage in so many ways tells that it is by grace you have been saved through faith. This is not from yourselves. It is the gift of God, not by work so that no one can boast. And then he says this, for we are God's handiwork created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. We are God's handiwork. We are his masterpiece. We are his magnum opus. We are God's handiwork. And that is why this work of grace, this work of salvation in and through our lives, friends, because we are handiwork. Uh, as silly as this is, or seems, uh, at some point, I think it was just this past week, we were talking about things that we did growing up or class we had to take, and we got on this conversation of having to take home ec. I remember I had to take my home ec class in middle school, and the first part of home ec was learning how to cook, and the second part of home ec was learning how to sew. But here's the thing. I loved them. I actually, I, I was like rolling my eyes, but it was like so fun to learn how to cook, and I remember then making food, and there was something about making food that it tasted better when I made it, right? I mean, something about like whenever you put the work into it, it's a little bit better. I remember learning how to sew. I remember sewing little things and stuffed animals, and then I probably had them tucked under my pillow for years to come. I was like, oh, I love these little things that I sewed because they were my handiwork. They reflected my imagination, my creativity, and my industriousness, you know, to make these little things. God is saying, it's like this, you're, you're my handiwork. We read in the Psalms that he knit us together in our mother's womb. That he planned all the days of our lives before one of them was lived out. We are God's handiwork, and that is why he's so invested in us. When he saw us born into this precarious situation, this life and death situation, this transgression and this sin, and we knew it would lead to our demise and our separation from him, he said, I can't let my handiwork, I can't let my image bears, I can't let my children just go down that path without doing something. To save them. I mean, here's the fact of the matter, uh, friends. I probably shouldn't admit this as your pastor, but I'll just be, I'll just be transparent. I guess I'll just be vulnerable. Uh, you know, I, I don't I don't wake up, go to sleep, and in between end up thinking about all of your kids. <laughs> but I pretty much wake up, go to bed, dream about in between thinking about my kids. Whether they're going through something hard or going through something good, I just, my natural dispensation, my dis, dis, disposition, not dispensation, my natural disposition is, is just to let my thoughts, let my heart, let my emotions go towards my kids. That's why I have to actually keep a prayer journal and write down, oh yeah, remember to pray for other people's kids. That's why we send out the prayer list every week. It helps me to remember your kids and your needs and what's going on in your lives. I don't have to write it down for my kids. I don't have to remind myself, oh yeah, pray for Eden and Thomas and pray for Karis and pray. No, it's just there because they have me. <laughs> I mean, they have me because they're my kids. They're my handiwork. Robin had something to do with it too, but they're my handiwork. You know, like my heart, my thoughts, my everything. I mean, it just, it, it just goes towards them. 
And that's what Paul is telling us here is what God is saying. You're my kids. I mean, my heart just goes to you. I don't need to write down your prayer list. I'm thinking about you all the time. When I thought about your story and the story being told that you would end up dead, separated from me, apart from me, I couldn't bear it. So I had to save you. And it's my gift for you. Of course it's a gift. Of course that's what the father would do for his children. Of course that is how we are saved. What else could God the father do but save us? So I want to ask Tina and Brittany, they're going to get back up here and they're going to lead us in a bit more worship. And as they do, I want to invite you to think about your testimony. Back to where we began in that conference my girls uh, went to. Maybe your testimony is like one of those women who spoke. Maybe your testimony is that you were doing awful things. Maybe you have or had lived life far from God. Thanks be to God that by his grace, he saves. Maybe your testimony is that you were the victim of awful things, of transgressions, of sins. It has heaped guilt upon you. It has heaped shame upon you. It has brought brokenness and pain into your life. Thanks be to God that by his grace, there can be healing. There can be redemption. You can be born again. You can be like a new creation. You can be set free from that past and walk forward now in a new story that God is working out for you. Or maybe you were raised in an awesome home with God-fearing, Jesus-loving, spirit-filled parents. Thanks be to God for that. If that set you on the straight and narrow, if that saved you for some pain, and if that set you up for a great life, because there is still the need for grace in your life. Because maybe, maybe you've done it right. Maybe you graduated and got the degree and got the great job, but as you reflect now on the gift that God has given to you, maybe it's just not all being done yet fully for the glory of God. Maybe you go have the, uh, the, the transformation of somebody who's doing it great at work for yourself to maybe making that turn that you're doing great at work more for God and to be a blessing to others. You know, maybe your paycheck doesn't change at all, except that now you're going to be generous towards God and others. Maybe your schedule doesn't change at all, but now you are making room for God in your schedule to guide and direct your steps. You see, that's the gift of salvation. That's the gift of God's grace to us. It can take a, a reprobate, a, a, a deplorable, somebody who's living an awful life. And again, with all compassion, not to be controversial, there are people who live awful lives and do awful things. Praise be to God that he can save that soul and save that life. There are people who've been wounded and hurt tremendously. Thanks be to God that the gift of grace and salvation can bring healing and restoration to life. And thanks be to God that he can take somebody who on, all, on the surface is doing great, but he can draw that person to them to do it for his glory and in his name. So let me pray for us, friends. Let me pray that all of us, no matter where we're at, will receive this gift of grace, our salvation. Let me 